Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash doctrine. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Sign up today. Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, elder candidate at Redeemer Fellowship. Man, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. It was, a, it was a long, hard day. Yep. It's Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. We're in your garage. Yep. You can hear the bugs going crazy outside. Yeah, they, they like the night. But we had good pizza. Yeah, and Pomodoro. But, oh, is this from Pomodoro's? Oh, of course. I don't, yeah, yeah, I like their stuff. And I could actually eat it because it was pie cut. It was pie cut. I sent Michelle a text and I asked her to please order Joe and I some pizza. Yeah. Um, and I specifically said pie cut. Right. Otherwise, Joe is a brat. Well, look, uh, I feel bad that, that you have to go through all of that because people in the Midwest do not know how to cut pizza pies. There's nothing wrong with square cut. If, if you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, if you don't understand the Midwest, now I was born and raised in the Midwest, so I'm allowed to complain about this. In the Midwest, they do not know how to cut pizza. Now, if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, you understand that when you order a pizza, it is cut so that each piece is a relatively equally sized triangle. It's not a big deal. Straight cuts that go through the middle of the pizza at various angles. This is so Everybody dumb. gets a triangular piece. That way, you get the nice wide piece of a crust, and the point narrows you down. Are really annoying. So it's really good. That's how you eat it in the Midwest. They do this stupid jacked up redneck, like chop the pizza up into little bite sized pieces. It is not it, just the Midwest. It is little square pieces, so that hardly anybody gets crust. And I, I will not eat it. If I order a pizza, I always say well, pie cut. Or I send it back. And if they bring it to me and it's not, I say, you can take it back. I ain't eating that pizza. Just so for the record, yep. I lived in Canada. Yep. They have it square cut as well. well. Big, sh- oh, shocking. Why is that? Wait. I'm so like, oh, uh, the, our backyard, the empty alley behind our country. Oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm, so, I'm so shocked. <laughs> we I'm so have, shocked we... that where we dump our tires and mattresses that, uh, <laughs> that they would be rednecks. God, I just want you to know, you're feeding into the fear or... The, the image that they themselves have that they are a little brother and they're always trying to fight against that and you're feeding into oh, it by they're calling not them the little, alley. They are not little brother. They are, uh, how do I say this? Don't do <laughs> it. Without getting in we're trouble. Done. No, we're done. Canada. We, we have a lot of listeners Canada, Canada. is America's. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. If you want to know what Canada is, Canada is America. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. I'm going to do the chant for the Canadian. Slower cousin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> No, no, no. My little brother. Slower cousin. I want to invite you all to write in and complain about what Joe just said. Yeah, please send in all your emails. You you want to know what their uh, Olympic uh, chant is? At least it was for the Winter Olympics. Are you ready? Yeah. They had a vote about it nationwide. Here it goes. C-A-N-A-D-A-A-A. That's pretty clever. Wow. That's That's clever. That's clever. What, what's no. in, okay, what's ours? USA. You who's still That's all you got to say, son? That's USA. Say. All right. Anyways, what, are we, what are we talking about? Today? Well, we're uh, we're just done talking about our slower cousin, 
And Canada. we're going to move on to the You're segments. so cute, Canada. Stop it. You're do- Canada, you're you doing do it. I'm so proud of you. No, stop it. You're doing so good. <laughs> Look at you guys. You're never going to speak again in Canada. No one's going to invite you. I don't up. think I've ever spoken in Canada. Yeah. What's up there, Tim Challies? Whoa. All right, <laughs> come on now. Tim Challies is a big Tim- deal. What? Yeah, for Canada, he's a big deal. What, he's what he's a big deal for Christian no, blogging. No, give give the man credit Did, where he's due. Okay, for he, a slow he is Canadian, the, he, he is doing well. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right. Anyways, yeah, sacraments. We're gonna talk about the sacraments. We're gonna talk about the sacraments or, or ordinances. Some people like the term ordinances better. So, Who well, likes the term ordinance better? Uh, reformed individuals, no. Protestants, no peoples, nope. Bible. Baptists. Baptists. You can't just start yelling out terms gonna, that are theological and expect to hit it. I'm going to hit it. All right. So it's um, Baptists tend to prefer the term ordinance over sacraments. And so just we're going to say on the front end, uh, we're going to talk about the ordinances mm-hmm. or the sacraments, if you will. And we're going to use those terms interchangeably at times. Yep. So forgive us. But we will talk about the distinction uh, between those two words in just a little bit. But Jimmy, when we talk about the sacraments, yep. what are we talking about? We're talking about the two uh, specifically laid out in Scripture. Right. We're talking about those that, that Jesus has given us. Right. Baptism mm-hmm. and the Lord's Supper. That's right. All right, good. We're, this is a, you know, opposed to, I shouldn't say opposed, but rather than uh, the Roman Catholic Church. It's with, opposed, yeah. You can say it. With, they have what? 20? I think they have seven sacraments. 35. It feels like it. 72? I think so. 70 times Nine. 7. Seventy times. That, sound, that, that sounds, sounds biblical. biblical. That's it. Seventy times seven. <laughs> so yeah, the 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 Catholic Church has uh, a number of sacraments that mm-hmm. the Protestants do not recognize, but we see two in Scripture: uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so, uh, when we're talking about these two things, we're talking about them as a means of grace. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that the water of baptism or the act of being immersed in water. Or the eating of bread and and wine is not itself efficacious. Going... Efficacious. I oh, know that word. I know that word. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Why do you act like you don't know big words? You play it up like you don't know big words. You Ooh, know big words. I know big words. I knew. You went to community college. Hey, I shut up. What? I did not. Judson I, University. It is not a community. Well, college. it's the community college of the western suburbs of Chicago. It isn't is it? not a community. It is a a accredited. Well-rounded, uh, liberal, highly, very liberal, highly. It's got it right. No, in, no, no. It's a it liberal arts college, accredited. right? It is a fantastic university. No, I know it is. I know it is. We send a bunch of our students there from our church. They got a great architecture program and great uh, biblical and theological department. So I'm, I'm throwing it out there. They're yeah, we, they've Judson we've, University. Yeah, especially the ones that actually believe the scriptures inspired. But stop. <laughs> but there are. I don't uh, even know who you're talking about. Number, when you say oh, that. I'll, I'll start. You want me to start throwing out names? No, we're not going to throw out names okay. here because I, I honestly don't even know who you're talking about. When uh, you say that's that. all right. That's right. You mean if you didn't sleep through class, you'd know what I was talking about. Um, right. We do not believe that the act of eating bread and drinking wine is itself effective yeah. or efficacious mm-hmm. um, for our sanctification, but that. In receiving baptism um, and in receiving the Lord's Supper by faith, these become the me- uh, one of the means by which God conveys grace to us and by which we are sanctified. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. So we've got two sacraments. Yeah. Now, what what's the deal with... What's know, the deal oh, with... Oh, guys, I'm doing Seinfeldian on you. What's the deal with uh, sacraments versus ordinances? Um, you know, some people... Object to the term sacrament. Why? Why is that? Or why do you think that is? Well, I think because uh, 
there's the the connotation that it is sacred, right? Like, so I think because it's an overreaction, maybe, right? Like, it's the pendulum is swinging so far the other direction uh, from this idea that if if it's sacred and if it is efficacious, right? So they wanna they wanna move away from that and say it is an ordinance. It's not in and of itself sacred, like in by means that it does not uh, change you or or uh, by taking it or doing it. Uh, you are somehow more holier or uh, more sanctified um, by the physicalness. But I, I watch. I think we will agree that there's a there's a spiritual sense that there's something spiritual that's going on right. uh, when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, so I think that's why there, it's. I think it's an overreaction and the pendulum swinging away from uh, Catholicism. Right. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, I think in 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 part because of. Uh, the Protestant Reformation and uh, Baptists' uh, difference from, uh, say, the Lutherans in particular, yeah. and, and uh, as we as we look at the ordinance of uh, of the Lord's Supper of Baptism and what's actually happening. But when we say that something is an ordinance, we mean that it is a religious rite or yeah. ritual uh, that the Church observes, and that's really the emphasis. And when we talk about something being a sacrament. Uh, we are emphasizing that it is sacred, that it is a means of grace, yeah. and that it is holy. And what makes it holy is uh, is not that bread and wine was prayed over by a priest, yeah. but what makes it holy is that it is a preaching of the gospel that is received by the church in faith. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about baptism first, and okay, then we'll talk about it. the Lord's Supper. As I think, you know, baptism for us as Baptists. I think most Baptists have a fairly decent understanding on why we are the way we are in baptism, but I find that we are weaker on the issue of the Lord's Supper. So, um, baptism, what, what is it? What are we talking about? Uh, I think we're, we're talking about uh, the full immersion of, of the believer, um, mimicking and sharing in, uh, in the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So it's this, this symbolic movement. So I think what's important to recognize is uh, for Baptists, for us, it is, it's this outward sign of an inward heart commitment. Mm-hmm. So it's not, that, it's not that baptism saves, but it's, it is a public proclamation of what God has already done in our lives, right? right. And so symbolically, you're going down into the water, sharing in, in Christ's death, and symbolically, you know, you're coming up out of the water uh, and sharing in the newness of life that we have in Christ. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of different ways that, that theologians will talk about this. And in fact, when Presbyterians and Baptists talk about baptism, oftentimes we wind up repeating each other and sharing a lot of the same theological insights, you know, that baptism it represents uh, the regeneration of the, of the sinner uh, to become a believer, to become alive in Christ. It, it is the, a picture of, and it's connected to the, the reality of the remission of our sins yeah. and things like that. Um, it is a rite or a tradition that Jesus gave us that marks us as one of his followers. And baptism wasn't anything new when Jesus said be baptized. Mm. John was already doing it. That's when right. John did it, he didn't invent anything new. Baptism was a common practice. Uh, and so when we see this in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is essentially adopting a cultural practice yeah. and saying, I want you to do this, but I want you to do it 
a little bit differently because what you are doing here is that you are associating with me. You are aligning with me. And our baptism ultimately points to our union with Jesus Christ. Exactly. Colossians 2, 12 and 13 says this, Having been buried with him, that's Jesus, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Mm -hmm. So that that union, it's that coming together that we are sharing in this with Christ. Exactly. And so for us as Baptists, um, we believe, we are convinced, not only through the passages that we see in the New Testament Mm -hmm. about the practice of baptism, but also because historically, because of our view of covenant theology, that, um, that the only appropriate candidates for baptism are those who confess faith in Jesus Christ. That's right. Uh, and <clears throat> so we differ with our Presbyterian brothers on the, uh, the applicants or uh, the, the, the people that will be baptized, and that's a whole other uh, subject. We're not getting into the d- debate between the two. But I do think we, we're going to have an episode on that, right, yes. when we talk about uh, covenant theology. Absolutely, and we will. But just look, we can just say this, that our, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters uh, are wrong. They, they believe with us that baptism is uh, essentially a picture of our union with Christ, and they believe that it is a preaching of the gospel mm-hmm. and a promise to their children that they are to look back upon. They were baptized as infants, so they look back to this. They've been included into the covenant community. And uh, that is supposed to be a, an ongoing preaching to them that they've that they've been baptized, so they should believe in this gospel truth. So they don't believe that baptism saves their children, That's right. but that it is a preaching of the gospel to their children and a means by which they're included in the covenant community. Baptists, on the other hand, would say that uh, we we do the same thing in that we preach the gospel to our children, we raise them in the nurture and the admonition mm-hmm. of the Lord, we point them to the truth, and when they can confess Jesus Christ, then we baptize them, and uh, and we continue to nurture them on the way. That's a whole other debate, though. So yeah, I mean, and it's it's also something I think we see part of it. Now I'm going back to the the ordinance of it that that Jesus not only participated in it, but he also commands us to mm-hmm. do it. Matthew 28. Right. At the end there, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Right? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's this, it's, it's something that he's still calling us to. It's something that he's, uh, it's, it's after, you know, when someone has made, been made a disciple, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So uh, we continue that as the church today, right. this practice, this ordinance, this command yeah. that Jesus has, has given us. Yeah, I mean, Matthew twenty eight nineteen is, is, is the big daddy, mm-hmm. right, that we are commanded to go as the church um, to, to make disciples and to make sure that people are, uh, are, in a sense, experiencing Christ through this ordinance or sacrament in a very unique and powerful way. Way and we've been talking about mode, right? We've been talking about we we believe that, but even Calvin and others would say, well, in the New Testament, these bap- those who were baptized appear to be immersed in water. Yeah. Um, but our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would say that well, mode, whether it's sprinkling, pouring, 
or immersion, it's not really what's important. What's important is what baptism signifies and that you're using water. So I understand their argument. I respect them greatly. Uh, But for Baptists, we actually believe that the mode matters. Uh, And for us, the mode matters because we relate this to things like the regulative principle and Mm -hmm. sola scriptura, and we're just persuaded that we should do it the way that it was done to the best of our ability. And we think immersion helps with that. And as Jimmy pointed out earlier, they're a part of this, uh, you know, baptism uh, is the, our immersion yeah. into Christ, our union with Christ, and this picture of burial and resurrection. So we we definitely do think mode matters, but what about the when and the where of baptism? I mean, when should when should a person be baptized? And I don't I don't mean their age. We can talk about that. Yeah. But I mean, like, where do you do it? Um, should it be at the public pool? Should it be in the river? So some old Baptists used to say you had to be baptized in a place with moving waters. Oh yes, yes, um, yeah. I personally, I'm, I'm, I don't care, right? I think, I think it's just the act itself that I'm, I'm more, uh, and we can disagree on this. That I'm more uh, focused on. So, I mean, if you got to do it at a pool. I guess I see people do it at lakes and they do it in the ocean and they do it. Uh, they, they bring in, you know, th- here's my preference is that it's in the church, in the assembly of the believers. Cause I think that's, that's the part that I think is, is important because you're, um, and I think it, it's helpful to be in the church in front of other believers because you're confessing Christ in the midst of the body of believers. And I think there's also something there um, I think we've done it this way. Uh, maybe we haven't done it. Maybe I've done it in different ways at other churches. But there's also a a participation of the members in that, where uh, they themselves are covenanting and they're 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 reciting the confessions with the individual being baptized. But they're also covenanting and saying, "We will be walking alongside you mm-hmm. uh, on this journey together." And you can't really do that if the, the church is not there with you. So, I mean, personally, if my church did not have a baptismal, I'd rent a tub, you know. Yeah, rent get the horse tub. trough. Lots get of a, the, yeah, seriously. That's yeah, what they get, use. get a trough and, and you do it right there, you know. Yeah, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, we, of course, we're a church plant. We've sent many, many others out. And, uh, yeah, maybe the most common practice uh, for poor church planters is the horse trough. Yeah. And you get the big one and you can dunk people in it. Uh, some people get the heated tub, mm. uh, which is pretty nice. Amen. Uh, we've got the old uh, 1970s sky blue, like little hot tub in the back of the sanctuary or the front of the sanctuary. I guess, yeah, technically it's in the front of the sanctuary. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really just. Uh, no, it's really nice, dude. Have you ever. Oh, it's ugly. Have you ever. There's like dead mice in there. Well, no, I, I fill it up, heat it up, and kind of put, you know, some. Uh, air hoses in there and i just post up really you can just go in there for a while yeah you don't I do didn't that. Know, no no i think i think that that's that explains a lot actually when i get in there for like, sunday yeah when you yeah, like, okay when there's like cigar ashes yeah, and it's like beer okay cans. Yeah, it was a little confusing um so yeah the 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 win um, some people argue for public very public other people argue it's it's good in the church uh but definitely there there i think there should be witnesses and yes. i think this should be done in the context of the local church um, so when you say, sorry, when you say the context of the local church, now I want to, uh, what about the leadership of the church being part of it? Because I've heard of individuals, and I, I personally I disagree with this, where uh, you know they'll be out and about evangelizing or whatever, 
uh, they have their neighbors over, they're evangelizing, uh, their neighbors come to faith and like, listen, I, I got a kiddie pool right here. Let's do this. Right. What do you think of that? I mean, I have my own personal opinions on that, but. Well, the uh, Reformed Christians and Reformed Baptists would agree that baptism really is connected to the local church and can't happen apart from the local church. And it would need, at the very least, if not ordained ministers administering the rite of baptism, they would have to be present and oversee it. So that would be true for um, for Reformed Baptists and others, but then, and Presbyterians, uh, I believe Lutherans as well. But once you get it outside of that, a lot of people are loosey-goosey on baptism. It's just kind of whenever and wherever. And you can make arguments, you know, what about Philip and the Ethiopian Yeah, that's actually, and, I was just looking for that text. So uh, it's in the book of Acts, dude. Well, hey, you know. But, um, it, it's, it, but I, I think we, somewhere. we should be careful when we approach these things that are commanded and ordained by Christ for us. And while it may be okay for us to do spontaneous baptisms apart from the local assembly, uh, I would want that to be well thought out, well-reasoned, scripturally based, and I would want to check it even against the history of the church. So now what about, now I might be going on a different subject here, so if we can scratch this, but what about spontaneous baptisms in the midst of the church? Well, it was certainly uh, the practice in the New Testament. There were spontaneous baptisms that we see happening in the New Testament. What about those churches that stage people to come, come forward? Oh, when they furtick those baptisms? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was going to yeah, say Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What about when they stage it so that Look, it I makes others feel more comfortable coming up? Shortly, uh, shortly after the apostolic era, I believe that um, there became uh, a, a, a little bit of a, of a period of time where uh, teaching and indoctrination would occur before one was baptized. Uh, for example, it became common to recite the Apostles' Creed yeah. above when you were baptized. Well, that takes a little bit of time uh, to learn, to understand, and to memorize. So I, I think that, you know, in this, especially in this post-Christian America or any place that has largely been Christianized, where baptism is has kind of been there long enough and been misunderstood long enough to just be another thing that one yeah. person can do without any serious consequences or significance to it, mm. that we need to be careful with baptism to explain what it really means and what you're saying. When a person is is baptized, they are identifying with Jesus Christ, and this could cost them their family. It could cost them their job. It could cost them their life in certain contexts. For In America here, it doesn't really mean much to most people. Yeah. It's just one more thing you're going to do. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a special thing. I'm going to be up on stage. I'm going to get all dunked by the pastor. It's going to be fun. And then there'll be a party afterwards and I'll get cake. I'll get, maybe I'll get a t-shirt. <laughs> At Redeemer, you get a baptism certificate, mm. which is... You guys have never seen a baptism certificate as cool as the one that Pastor Brian Malcolm designed for us. It's all black. Uh, and with, uh, with blue ink. Yeah. And sparkles. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. <laughs> so, but yeah, we, I think we need to be careful. I like, I like a little bit of time. Yeah. To, and it doesn't have to be much time, but I do like a little bit of time so that I can know this person that I'm baptizing, so that they understand the significance. And I prefer it to be in connection with them actually joining the local church as well for accountability, for covenanting, for, uh, for encouragement and, and real pastoral care. So I don't. I'm not a fan of the spontaneous baptisms. Yeah. The even churches that are orthodox and aren't 
trying to manipulate people to go forward. They're still doing the spontaneous baptisms. I appreciate it. I, I, I see what's cool about it. Mm-hmm. I see what's biblical about it. But I think our context merits a bit more care there. So, yeah, bottom line, take some time to get to know the individual because, like we said, it's, it's supposed to be it's an uh, outward sign of an inward heart commitment. So test that. Right. You know, uh, I think I, I mean, I think the word I'm looking for is uh, go through some sort of catechism, like just kind of go through something uh, so that, you know, as as the individual who is being baptized, that this is something that you, you understand the seriousness and, yeah. and the weight of what you're doing. And as a church leadership, uh, you are not just trying to pad your stats. Well, Southern Baptists and we are Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists are famous for padding the stats. Yeah. We've got the fattest, most bloated, and I don't just mean that literally. That that's true too. But I mean oh uh, metaphorically, <laughs> we have the fattest, most bloated uh, membership records. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of years ago, I know it was 16 million members, but on any given Sunday, we only had six million people in church. Yeah. So where the rest of them members go? Well, a lot of them are false converts. That's right. A lot of them are people that were baptized right away without any serious investment or discipleship or accountability. A lot of them are churches not willing. To remove them. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, that, that, that's common practice. Hey, Jimmy, where were you baptized? Where was I baptized? Yeah. I was, and now it sounds bad, I was baptized up in Minneapolis. By John Piper. No. 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 Where were you? So, okay, in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, I was going to school. I had never been, okay, I was baptized as an infant. Of course you were. Because <laughs> I was raised Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and... um so I had been going to the school and was listening to this teacher, this prof, and started talking about Acts. We're going through Acts. Uh, and we got to the part about baptism. We, I was just convicted of it, just convicted. And this prof was like, all right, man, anyone uh, that wanted to, this Saturday I'm going to be at the lake, and we're going to do some baptisms. So I signed up. And went and got baptized. So everything I said about wanting to do it in the local church. <laughs> that doesn't sound bad. That doesn't sound bad. It yeah. is bad. It is bad. It's yes. very bad. <laughs> but at that moment, I went with it because I felt yeah. I was young and so dumb and felt I, like, hey, I got to move in this without any so real connection to So you still have not a... been properly baptized. We're going to have to baptize you, dude. No, no, no. I was baptized again. Were oh, you baptized a third time? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Well, no, like, yeah, there's, there's so much confusion over the issue yeah. and, and how we walk into it. I was baptized in a river way up high in the Rocky Mountains when I was about a year old Christian, I think. Hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, about a year old Christian. And uh, it was a church group that had gone up there and the pastor was there and they did baptisms up in this super cold river. And um, it was cool, man. It, it was, you know, that was, I was a young Christian and I loved the Lord and I wanted... But it was done by the church. Yeah, you it, were was, being, it was the Yeah, church see, mine that wasn't there. that. All my Bible school friends were also mad I didn't tell them. <laughs> you didn't have any. You didn't have a party afterwards. No, I didn't, I didn't get no cake. You got oh, cake? Man. No, I didn't get any cake. Did you get no. pie? No, I meant pie's better. Ice cream, t-shirt. No, a Bible certificate. No, I don't think I got any. We were out. We were out in Colorado. We were on a trip. We were riding 250 miles to the Rocky Mountains. Okay, so it wasn't in the context of the local church. It was. Yeah. Well, it was. It was. It was. Uh, the past. A couple pastors were there from the church, okay. and but it was. A, it was like a retreat. Gotcha. All right. So, all right. Um. What about what about the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper, communion. So we 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 read about the Lord's Supper. 
Uh, we read about baptism, I'm sorry, we read about baptism in Matthew 28 and in several other places, um, but in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Luke, uh, a number of places, we, we read about the Lord's Supper in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's kind of presented and it's talked about, sometimes there's correction going on. But when we talk about the Lord's Supper, what is it that, that we're essentially supposed to be doing? Well, uh, biblically, and I think holistically and spiritually, and I think um, the best practice would be uh, we're supposed to uh, come up one by one and grab a piece of bread and dip it in a common you cup. You are just trying <laughs> so hard there, uh, to make me angry right what, now. No, I'm just saying. No, and okay. you just dip it Look, in the common we'll, cup. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll we'll talk. <laughs> Save your stupid example uh, for a little bit later. What are we talking about? What are we doing? What should we be doing when what, we celebrate okay. the Lord's Supper? Well, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. I think um, we, are, we are remembering uh, Jesus' broken body, his spilled blood on the cross for us for the remission of our sins. Right. So we're, yeah, we're just, really, we're, we're, we're focusing on the gospel. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's we, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes mm-hmm. again. We are, you know, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So very clearly, it is a memorial. Yeah. Um, now the question is, is, is it more than a memorial? And, and we, we can get to that. But for sure, what we, what we know we're supposed to do is eat bread yep. that has been broken, that's right. And drink wine. Yes. That has been poured out. Uh, most Baptists don't do this. No. They drink grape juice. Yeah. Oh, we're going to go on this one? We're going to go down this road? Well, well, we'll touch on it. All right, let's touch on it. Because I know um, you and I are, I don't know, I think we're the same yet different. Okay, that makes no sense. But um, it's very postmodern of you to say. Well, no, because I think, I think pastorally, I think there's some issues surrounding... Uh, well, let's just keep going, and then we'll get to all it. Right, you all know right. what I'm getting to. I know what you're getting to, and I think we actually agree. Yes. Um, so the whole issue, uh, and I'll link to this, but I have, um, I've written several posts on the Lord's Supper that you can read, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about wel- Welch's and wine and all of that. Um, but wine clearly is what was used in Scripture, yes. and every church used wine to celebrate the Lord's Supper until Mr. Welch created grape juice that could be made and uh, pasteurized and mm-hmm processed and sent out in mass. And since then, most Baptists have just shifted to grape juice. Um, we, we don't have to spend a lot of time here. I, I think biblically, it ought, it ought to be wine. But listen, full disclosure, Redeemer Fellowship, greatest church in on, the world. Greatest church on 12th and Oak in St. Charles. Greatest church, no, in the universe <laughs> that has uh, ever we, existed. We are using grape juice. We yeah. use grape juice. We don't use wine. Um, and maybe we will someday. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll revisit that. Uh, you know, that would be a personal preference. But there you go. There's an example. I don't run the show. Um, There's something that we all talk about and we try mm-hmm. to figure out together. So bread, wine, or juice, uh, <laughs> essentially the same elements, I suppose, shared and shared together to remember Christ's body. Now, mode matters when we're talking about baptism. Yeah. Right? Mode matters to Baptists doesn't matter to Presbyterians. It's not that it's completely irrelevant. It's just it's not a big deal to them. When we come to the Lord's Supper, hmm. does mode matter? Yes. Okay, so you you have to eat something, not just sniff something. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Sorry, you, I don't know where you're going with this. That's why I'm... Uh, you don't have to know where I'm going, son. Just follow. Sorry. Well, no, I can't tell if you're leading me into a trap. No. So, we eat. We're commanded to eat. Yes. So we're supposed to eat something. Yep. 
The sacrament is not about sniffing something. No, it's not about sn- Okay, I see where you're going. And it's about <laughs> drinking something. Yes. It's not about <laughs> sipping something. What is sipping? Okay, you're talk- are you talking about dipping? Are we going to... Right, s- we're going to talk about it for a second. All right, we're okay. talking about this. Because the best way to... The best way, I think, uh, for communion, oh, we're going to discuss right now. Okay. Jimmy's joking because he would not be an elder at Redeemer <laughs> if he wasn't. Um, intinction. Okay, so intinction is the issue, and if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, you may you may be uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit and not even know it on Sunday. Uh, oh God! No, I don't. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. All right. So um, typically, what you have when you celebrate communion is you have wine or juice and bread, yeah. and sometimes there's a common cup. This is rare. A common cup from which. Every member sips from or drinks mm-hmm. from to observe. Not very common these days, but you do find it in some contexts. And then there's bread that is broken, split apart, torn apart, and then shared and eaten. Uh, at other places, the wine is not sipped from a common cup. It is poured into several cups, and people take sips from their own individual cups. In other places, it is a cup or several big cups mm-hmm. in which people dip their bread into the wine and then put that nasty, soggy, wine-sopped mm. bread into their mouth mm. and chew it up without drinking from the cup. So let me just say this. Yeah. Uh, Joe's right. I hate that. I only talk about it because I know how much it annoys Joe. The process it is disgusting. Okay, so intinction is dipping the bread in the wine and then eating the wine-soaked bread. That's what it is. And I'll be honest. Most of my church planter friends do it that way. Why? To their shame. I think and, it, I, I'm not going to say why because I'm going to. I'm going to. Well, I'm going to say why. Right, you so say because I. Uh. They 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 do it that way so that no one is actually taking a drink from any cup, whether it's small mm-hmm. or large. And um, it, so intinction it has is not been around forever, and uh, it was not really enjoyed by most Protestants uh, for for quite a long time. And now that. It's becoming more popular. Yeah, um, we believe the command to eat and drink uh, are should be taken seriously, uh, literally, and we don't think that you are drinking just by chewing up the wine-soaked piece of bread. Uh, that some people want to make that argument. Uh, most of you don't care about this, but I just got to talk about it because it's bothering me. Uh, the reason most people in churches that I'm familiar with practice intinction instead of drinking the wine and eating the bread separately is because they've never done any real reading or research on it. That's one of the reasons. Hmm. Uh, it's just what they've always done. So which just is ignorance. Just yeah, ignorance. well, I don't want to say it that way because people misunderstand the word ignorance. But well, because yes, I know what word you're going to use next, and so, I think ignorance is the lesser of the two evils. So they, I don't think you know. So they, they just don't know. Mm-hmm. They've always, and we all fall into this. We all do things that we do just because we've always done it that way. We don't always evaluate our practices. So that's what's one of the reasons. Uh, another reason that they choose to do intinction is because they're lazy. See, I think that's worse. And they they don't want to have to set up cups, and they want it to be nice and neat and clean, and then you know, people just dip their bread in, they eat it, and they, they walk away. Um, and they, they think that, you know, the idea that, that there's one cup that everybody is sharing in, though once you have over 100 people, you have you more than one cup. You just can't do it. Yeah, just so, practically. But, uh, but anyways, the, so the, the intinction model is, I think, popular among some of the churches that I have great respect for yeah. because either of ignorance, sometimes because of that, sometimes because they are simply looking at being expedient and uh, they're just trying to – it's a very pragmatic argument, which would be a kinder way to say it. They're yeah. being very pragmatic and practical. But those that practice intinction are generally not driven by theological, biblical arguments for this. Instead, it is just 
a, a practical issue. It's easy setup. It's easier cleanup. It's less work. Um, and I, I just I, I find it to be uh, distracting at best and disobedient at worst. Ooh. Now, if I'm at a church that but doesn't tinction, I'll do it. I'll do you dip really? it. Yeah, of course, I'll do it. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's a sin, but because that's I say at worst it's disobedience. Um, but I do think it is improper. And uh, I'm not going to split fellowship over that. So the Lord's Supper is bread and wine mm-hmm. eaten and uh, drank to, and we do this in the context of the local church, to remember Christ's death for us. question is, we're saying that baptism and the Lord's Supper can be considered a means of grace. Yes. So is it just a memorial, or is there something more going on? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a spiritual aspect to it where we're partaking and we're believing by faith in what Christ has already done for us, right? Because I think when we come to the Lord's table, I think there's first there's this uh, uh, repentance that occurs, right? Like uh, Paul talks about whether you uh, like to not come, like you need to come repentant, right? You need to come to the table. Uh, professing your sins you're not going to come perfect right mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot at redeeming you're not going to come perfect but you you need to come expectant knowing and believing that christ has paid the penalty for our sins uh and so yeah i think there's there's a spiritual aspect to it and that you're you're participating jim you used that word you know participate mm-hmm. um in first corinthians 10 listen to this this is starting in verse uh 14 Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Mm. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, Jim. There is a participation with yeah. Christ when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're not just remembering what he did for us, but we are drawing near to him, mm-hmm. and he is drawing near to us. There is a spiritual communion happening there that does not happen like that in any other context. Something special, no. something sacred is happening when we receive the Lord's Supper by faith. Even uh, the Southern Baptist, uh, you know him as Beyonce, most of us know him as Boyce. Mm. Uh, he writes in his abstract of systematic theology. I don't have it here, but I know he it's says called, this. It's called "Drop It Like It's Hot." Is that what? Okay, is that the subtitle? Yeah, abstract of systematic theology. Drop it while it's hot. <laughs> while it's hot. <laughs> while it's hot. So there he says that the Lord's Supper is a means of grace because it is a preaching of the gospel that is received by faith, and mm-hmm. as a preaching of the gospel that is truth, God uses truth to sanctify us. Even even he would say that this is that there is something happening here when we observe the Lord's Supper. So, yes, it is a means of grace. There's a great book we want to recommend to you guys that will be in the show notes. Check it out, but it's by uh, Richard Barcelos. Mm. And it's, it's a great help on understanding the Lord's Supper and how it is something more than just a mere memorial. So, yeah, I mean, we, we affirm and we agree that it's different from uh, the Catholic view of transubstantiation, that's not a, it's not the physical, we're not re-crucifying, you know, Christ's not dying again, uh, it's not his actual body and his actual blood, uh, but what is the difference then with, with kind of that Lutheran view of, of consubstantiation? Well, if I'm honest, 
you know, I'm not a Lutheran scholar. I'm mm-hmm. not a, a Lutheran Christian. But my understanding is we're here we're talking about the presence of Christ yeah. in the sacraments or in this. And so is there a real presence of Christ in the midst of this um, uh, you know, consubstantiation is this idea that the Lutherans hold that Jesus is in, with, and under mm-hmm. the elements. Um, Presbyterians typically talk about s- real spiritual presence, that yeah. Christ is there, and that's much closer or identical to what many Reformed Baptists yeah. believe, that, that Christ is present when we do this in a real way, and he is sanctifying his people, convicting his people, leading his people, and sometimes visiting judgment upon his people when they persist in their sins. Like in 1 Corinthians, people were getting sick and dying. Yeah. And it was a, it was a form not of judgment but of discipline against God's people for for continuing in sin without repentance. So yeah, it's 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 different. Yeah. It's obviously different from Roman Catholicism. It's different from the Lutherans, and it can be different from our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. But um, in the end, most of uh, all of the Reformed Baptists that I know would argue that it is a means of grace that God uses to bless and sanctify His people. So Joe. Uh I know you, you suggested that book, but sometimes, you know, people are busy. Finding time to read can be hard, and some, some people struggle with reading. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions for our listeners Man, who read, are struggling with reading? You read that so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so here's what you can do. Uh, if you want to try something that you maybe you haven't tried before, um, we want to encourage you to check it out. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial of their service. Um, and it's you, you're going to go to this website. You're going to go to audibletrial.com slash doctrine. If you go there, that helps us because we get a little kickback if you mm-hmm. go and sign up. So audibletrial.com slash doctrine. You go there. You sign up. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. You can cancel any time. You can even cancel during your 30-day free trial. But you get a free audiobook, And you get to keep the audiobook even if you tell audible.com to beat it afterwards. Bam. So. Um, I want to recommend a particular book here uh, for you guys that is really, really good, really helpful. And it is a bit more of a weighty book than you might be accustomed to. So audiobook is a great way to go. It's called The Whole Christ, Legalism, Antinomianism, and Gospel Assurance, Why the Marrow Controversy Still Matters by Sinclair, the man, Ferguson. (laughs) You got to get this book because even if you like, what's the marrow controversy? You need to know. All of this relates to some of the debate that has happened within the context of the gospel-centered yeah. movement. If you remembered um, Brother Tullian and Pastor Kevin DeYoung having a lot of online debates, it's centered around these issues. So go to um, audibletrial.com slash doctrine, sign up for the free 30-day trial, and download this book uh, by Sinclair Ferguson, The Whole Christ. It is awesome. You know what time it is? Yeah, we don't. We can't keep talking about this Lord's Supper stuff because it's been, it's going long. Oh, so we got we got to talk mailbag about, time. It's mailbag time. Here we go, Henry Chris. Henry, Chris, wait, Chris. is that two first names or is that wait? Yeah, is that it's even spelled? It's got to be Cross, right? It's no, C R I S S. Henry Cross. No, it, Henry mis- Chris. Okay. Question about avoiding moralistic preaching. He says this in your recent episode on preaching. Joe said that we need preachers that, quote, threaten with the judgment of God and comfort with the salvation of God, end quote. I couldn't agree more that a preacher must do both in order to rightly divide the word of truth. However, I feel like I might be falling short on the threatening with the judgment of God in my preaching. 
out of a fear that I will fall into a moralistic, quote, do better, try harder, end quote, message. How do you guys, quote, threaten with the judgment of God, end quote, without becoming legalistic or preaching that God just wants people to do better and try harder? That's for you, Joe. You know, if uh, if you leave out the quote, end quote thing, mm-hmm. uh, people will still get No, I want to make sure they get I, the, I, I want to like, make sure they get people, the full feel. People are going like, what's up with the, uh, they got halfway through that and everybody's tuning out going, dude, how many times is Jimmy going to say quote, end quote? Quote, end quote, many times. All right. Um, let's say a couple of things here on this uh first of all preach what the bible preaches mm-hmm. say what the bible says if the bible says repent then sell people to repent if the bible tells you to um to work hard then tell people to work hard uh the bible says all of these things you got to put them in the broader context of the gospel so you will sometimes be preaching law uh and you will sometimes be preaching gospel in any one given sermon mm-hmm. it depends on whether it's a command or a promise let the, let the passage, let the point of the passage, let the author of that passage sort of dictate your direction. And you will not be legalistic if you are preaching people to repent of their sins and to follow Jesus. You are not being legalistic when you tell people to stop being selfish and love your spouse, yeah. to love, to submit, to serve. That's not legalism. That's just gospel obedience. Yeah. The difference is, is how do you present that act of obedience? Is there hope that they can do good and then please God? Or is there hope that God has accepted us in Jesus Christ, that he smiles upon us with fatherly love, and that he accepts our obedience, however imperfect it is, because Christ has perfected everything by his righteousness? Mm. So I think we can say, Hit the emphasis that the passage that you're preaching from hits. Yeah. And if it's heavy on judgment, hit the heavy on judgment and then draw a straight line to the gospel. That's right. If there, if there isn't much of a judgment sense there, you might have to talk a little bit about that and then go to the emphasis on the gospel. But ultimately, you're not, you don't want people to do better or to try harder. You want people to believe and you want people to exhibit the fruit of obedience and you want people to uh, have faith-driven obedience or godliness uh, emerge in their life. So my advice is, honestly, preach whatever passage you're in, but make sure that it is rooted and grounded in the gospel that you're supposed to herald every week as a preacher. And that doesn't mean that you simply talk about vicarious penal atonement on, on every Sunday in accordance with every sermon that you're preaching, but that you do hit on some aspect of God the Father sending his Son to save sinners from judgment. And that, that that salvation is by grace alone and received by faith alone. That's my basic answer. Awesome. Well, I know you're going to read this next question. Yeah, I want to read but it. I'm, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you not to say the name. Okay. And not to say uh, what church and where, where that church was that they used to attend. Okay. All, All right. right. Just out of, you know, just in case, right. read the subject so that the yeah. person knows that we're reading their question. All right. So. Uh, the guy's name is Hugh. Oh, gosh. Wait, no, it's not. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the subject is when to write a Dear John letter to your church. He says, Dear Fofo and yeah, JoJo. Yeah, I'm first. See that? You guys have addressed this topic here and there, but I was wondering if you could discuss guidelines of when to break up with a church. I went to an awesome church here uh, in his hometown, I assume, mm-hmm. and uh, recently he and his wife switched to a church that was closer Uh, And they had legitimate reasons for for needing to do that. The problem is the current church that they go to is, he says, seeker-friendly. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. 
it's a seeker friendly church and feels more like they're about more than you, you, you kind of jacked up this thing Hugh uh, that's not his real name but uh, when you're writing this out but he's, he's basically saying that this seeker friendly church is more about helping you feel good about yourself and what God can do rather than the gospel message uh, of Christ being our only hope how do you know when you are being selfish or stupid and when is it time to move on for the spiritual well-being of your family thanks for the podcast it's good for the soul Boom. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes a lot of prayer, you know, and I think in your situation, Hugh, um, you are, you're still fairly new at that new church. And so I think it's still okay to be uh, looking around. You know, it's not as if you're completely invested in yet. So, I mean, I think first, you know, go ahead and look at those other options. I mean, it depends if you've been there for years or but it doesn't sound like that, does it, Joe? It sounds like you're fairly new there. You're not a member. You haven't you're not a member. You have not covenanted with them. You're still in that that let's get together and make out stage. And you're not liking the making out, out doesn't happen until you're married, dude. Bad analogy. Try what? again. Oh, really? Wait, seriously? You don't make out till you're married? Yeah. No. Okay, so Ariana, your daughter? Yeah. What about her? She can't make out until she's 70. Okay, there we go. <laughs> There's a difference. Um but yeah, you're still in that that stage where you're getting to know. Sure, is this is this where what's good for my family? Is this what's good for us? So I think it's okay to be looking around uh, and seeing what yeah. is a church around here that that might be more uh, gospel centered. Absolutely. If 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 you're new, you're checking things out, then it's going to take some time. You know, most people think that they're going to just go and find a church, but it should take time. And if you haven't been there very long, then don't be too quick to judge the. The, the church. Yes. Give them some time. Show them some respect and some love. You know, maybe the pastor is in a slump and things are kind of weird. Maybe it's not the regular preacher. I mean, I don't know. But but be patient. Now, do you think he should go to the pastor and talk about it? I would be patient. I would before you start bringing stuff up. You don't want to be that guy either. You know, you what do you mean? What guy? Oh, you know, be? the guy that you, he's visiting your church and he's the first guy to talk to you right after the message and he he wants to try to pin you down and question you about like some doctrine that he hasn't quite read enough of or understand but he wants to pick a fight with you about it because he thinks he knows more than you uh has this happened before no i have no idea i'm just guessing yeah that's pretty that was kind of a spot on just uh so um so be patient yeah and uh yes listen you can move on to another church even if you are a member and there are different reasons why you may or may not need to do it uh general advice is move slow don't make any knee-jerk reactions. Uh, no church is perfect. Yeah. You, you may not like one aspect of the church, but other aspects may be brilliant and honoring to God. And if they, if they do believe the gospel, if they are preaching the gospel, uh, then that is Christ's church, and you want to treat them with respect. Secondly, what Jimmy said is very, very true. Pray hard about this. Don't, don't act quickly and don't act out of your own wisdom, but seek the Lord and make sure that your, your family is all on the same page. Number three, you are absolutely right to to be looking after the spiritual being yes. of your family. So the local church that you plug your family into, that's on you because you're the head of that household. And so you will be held to a high level of responsibility for whatever church you allow them to invest in and get teaching and instruction from. So if I thought that what was being presented, like I can handle it, but it would be unhealthy for my wife or my kids, we'd be gone. Yeah, It'd be, It's that simple. Um, if the doctrine is bad, if, uh, if they're tolerating sin... If, uh, you know, if they're, if they're not repentant, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you could leave, but even if, even if 
you feel like, you know what, I, it's hard to put your finger on it, but you have a problem with the church, you're not comfortable there, you'd like to find a church that maybe has uh, more uh, vigorously uh, practical preaching or more deeply theological preaching or that has more young people in it, I don't think that it's necessarily sinful for you to leave because of those reasons. I think that um, as long as you uh, are clear, straightforward, and honest with your pastors and with the church, and if you're not divisive, um, it's okay. If somebody wants to leave Redeemer and they're a member, uh, we don't fight them on that. We want to find out why and what's going on, and mm-hmm. um, and we'll bless them if, if they're going to be uh, a more fruitful and happy believer at another local church. We're not um, we're not afraid of that. So, Joe, uh, why don't we go with any book recommendations? I think first would like to, I would like to recommend uh, the Lord's Supper: Remembering and Proclaiming Christ Until He Comes by Thomas Schreiner and yeah. Matthew Crawford. Yeah, like they were the were they just the editors of that? Uh, yeah, I think they were. Yeah, that's a good one because I read that. Um, you should definitely, uh, you definitely check it out. It's um, it's definitely good, uh, and it's uh, boy, there's a, there's articles in there that even deal with the frequency with which we should be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So you guys um, should check it out, especially if you're only celebrating the Lord's Supper, you know, like once a month or once a quarter. You know, we encourage people to do it as often as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go ahead and and get in on that. It's uh. It's going to be really good. Yes, the book that um, I want to recommend is The Lord's Supper as a Means of Grace. It is More Than a Memory by Richard Barcelos. Mm. Very good book. Uh, Check it out. Pick it up. It's definitely worth your read. And a podcast, if you're not subscribed to, uh, you should subscribe to. Uh, I enjoy listening to these guys. These go to 11. That's a good one. Uh, it's got uh, Nathan and Greg, and uh, they most often have a guest, and they talk about things that are rarely addressed on Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, There's not a ton of podcasts that we're uh, going to be shouting out, but yeah. you know, the ones that we do like, the guys that we know, and that is uh, that is actually a really good one. I, I hope you guys will check it out. I've been on that one once or twice. And once had or twice. A, had a really good time. Listen, if you guys want to help us out at uh, here at Doctrine and Devotion, you can leave us a review at iTunes or whatever uh, you know a podcasting platform you're using. Mm-hmm. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We are at Doc and Devo. Uh, we're on Facebook. You can uh, like our page. Tell your friends. Uh, we, we help us spread the word. If this is helpful and encouraging and fun, man, then then invite other people. And if you're already doing that. We really want to thank you. If you have any uh, ideas, hey, hold your roll. Uh, you hold your roll. Slow your roll. If you want to um, leave us uh, an idea, if you want to send us a message, we get tons of emails mm-hmm. and comments. It's really encouraging and helpful for us and the podcast. Uh, you can go over to our website, doctrineanddevotion.com, and you can go to the contact page, and there you can leave us a message. We get them, and we read them all. Special shout out to Justin Bond of J Bond Media. We got to hang out with J Bond in uh, where were we? Portland. 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 It was great. Got to hang out with Justin, uh, his beautiful wife Kylie, his gorgeous daughter Lillian. What? Lillian? No. Are you serious? Yeah, it's not Lillian. What is it? It's a biblical name, Lydia. Oh my gosh! I am wow, man, Lillian. But Lillian, no wonder she hated me. Wasn't Lillian the mom in the Munsters? No. The vampire mom? Yeah, Lily. That's Vivian. No. No. No, it's Lily. 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 Either way. I had a big crush on her. <laughs> Lily. And he edits this. <laughs> All right. So anyways, her, her daughter is Lydia. Lydia. Anyways, we had a great time hanging out with you guys. Um, and am looking forward to the day 
You know what I mean, Justin. When we, when we can spend more time together. That's right. So, listen, if you need photos, videos, editing, that kind of a stuff, go to jbobmedia.com and ask him to improve, no, to perfect, mm. to, nay, to glorify your what? desires to make. No, no, it's done. No. Wait. Thanks, Justin. So when, hey, thanks, you guys, you for uh, checking to, in. Wait. Thanks for checking in. Uh, we appreciate uh, you guys listening. Uh, tell a friend. Sharing is caring. Till next time. Later. Later.